Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Betfair's Weighed In podcast. We are recording this at 9.30 on Monday morning and it's the usual boys, TC, Brandon Duke and Kevin Blake have joined me after a terrific racing weekend. Jump racing really notching up a gear now into top gear and we also had the performance of Equinox to enjoy on the flat. We will be discussing all of the racing, high points, low points, everything in between and the news angles too on the show as usual. But before I go any further, obviously it was a huge Betfair sponsored day up at Haydock on Saturday, Betfair Chase, which will be one of our first talking points in a second. But it was also the launch of the Serial Winners programme that was done, well, film that was done on Rachel Blackmore. That can be watched on YouTube, on all the digital platforms, Betfair's digital platforms. Take a watch of that. It's a great insight into Rachel and the way in which she thinks and it has contributions from the likes of Kevin Blake and myself, God forbid. But there is also a serial winner fund that was launched on Saturday. Now, this is where Betfair are doing a different charity angle, essentially. They have a fund going. It started on Saturday. They put a 100 grand donation to start the fund off, and they're going to add five grand every time Rachel Blackmore rides a winner between Saturday just gone, so Betfair Chase Day, and the Grand National. So that's Saturday the 13th of April next year, and all of that fund will be going to the Irish Injured Jockeys and the Injured Jockeys Fund over here in England as well. So it's for a great cause. And at the top of the show every Monday, we will be updating you on where the Serial Winner Fund has got to. So we'll be doing a check-in at the moment. It's at 100 grand. So lots to get started with. Let's just check in with the boys. TC, did you enjoy Betfair Chase Day, our big day, one of our big days? Yeah, it looked good on the TV, didn't it? The old uh, cinema, cinema action. Yeah, very good. Yeah, big promo action for serial winners. Love to see it. Race goes look to get stuck in. Brendan Duke, you're over in Ireland looking like a Scandi ski instructor as you flagged that up before the show. Excellent attire as always. Did you go racing this weekend? No, I was in Cork on a dirty weekend away, so I so I couldn't make the races, but uh, it was. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm all I'm all caught up though. So it's, it's, it's some some fine performances to discuss. God, that was an eye-opening. Stuff. That's only you in the sack. I haven't had a dirty weekend away in ages. What about you, Kevin Blake? Um, no, no dirty weekend for me. I was at Goss for the last week. <laughs> I just got back here, back on Saturday evening. So that, that was my week. Um, trying to keep abreast of the racing as, as we went along. But, um, yeah, good week at, good week at the sales, full sales, mare sale, and uh, on to new market in the, in the very immediate future for the sales there, too. So, there you go. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Bloodstock World Rocking and Rolling. We'll be talking about that in our news section. But let's do the racing review section first. And let's start with the Gold Cup division, because goodness gracious, there were some turn ups for the books this weekend. Obviously, Gallop in the Champs beaten in the John Durkin. And of course, Brave Man's Game beaten in the Betfair Chase. It's all been a happening. Let's start with the Betfair chase up at Haydock. Obviously, won by Rule Pagar, loves Haydock, got the job done. But did the race fall apart, Brendan? That is my question to you. Um, well, I, I suppose you're a little bit disappointed that Royal, Royal Pagai was good enough to win. I mean, it was, he was a horse, it was, it was, it was, he's more of a grade two horse. Let's be realistic about it now. Haydock. Yeah, with soft ground, although the ground wasn't desperate by any means, but with soft ground are, are his optimum conditions and he stuck it out really well. But I suppose the disappointment was, I know we, you were talking to Tony about this before and he has a suspicion about Brave Man's Game being a weak finisher. It wasn't something I picked up on before, I have to say, but that's twice now this season that he's jumped great as he does, travelled great as he does and has just been found a little bit wanting in the closing stages. So, 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 so that was a touch disappointing there's always a concern after he he, he he was an epic battle in the, in the Gold Cup and that's such a savage stamina test and a general physical test that it could have left a mark on him and, and, and you hope that he hasn't gone a bit gun shy I suppose we'll have to wait and see how he gets on defending his crown in, in, in the King George uh, but yes I, I, I was a little bit disappointed the Brave Man's game didn't get it done 
Brendan disappointed Kev. Protectorat, it all seemed to go wrong quite early for him. Carrick Rambler never really at the races like he usually is and then just picked up the pieces. I was delighted for the team, Royal Pagal team behind him. Charlie Deutsch is obviously so likeable. Venetia Williams having such a good time of it. But I was so looking forward to the race. And yeah, I came out of it a little bit disappointed, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, I think most people were the same, Vanessa. A Royal, Royal Pagai, um, super horse. Um, but look at you, you wouldn't have really considered him to be of this level. Um, and is he improving at the age of nine, rising 10? I, I find it hard to see myself. Um, Protectorat was cooked a long way out. Um, Braveman's game, like I think tactically, Royal Pagai, Charlie Deutsch got a spot on. He just, he just didn't give him a chance to breed, did he? Um, he he was up on him. He was on him from a long way out. On him, didn't give him a chance to um to 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 breed at all, and um and he managed to break him. Um, so like like I say, fair play to all connections uh, for for having a crack as well. Like this horse has been kicked out of the way at this level a few times. Um, it would have been easy to to lower sights, etc. But um, they had a crack at the at the big bananas, and and they got them all. So um, fair play to them. Uh, God, that leaves the the English staying chase division up in the air a small bit now, doesn't it? Um, Protector has to has a little way to come back now. Like he does have a patchy profile. I know there's a there's a view there, Dan Skelton, that maybe his horses on comeback aren't as sharp as they usually are. Um, he's talking about one more run before Cheltenham. Um, and look at Brave Man's game is on the back foot now as well. Um, like I, I don't, I'm not fond of this or oh, the Gold Cup. Um, the Gold Cup has left a mark narrative. Like I, I just don't like that in general. Um, I don't know how well it stands up. Like you look back and you know have, have things really changed that much in the last ten or fifteen or twenty years that this happens? I, I'm not sure. He's a horse that's had a bunch of breeding operations in his life. Maybe he's just going a little bit downhill. Um, physically, maybe I know he's not an old horse, but he clearly has had issues. Um, so look, he's on the back foot now. You you wouldn't be full of enthusiasm about the King George for him now after this. And look, Paul will take him home and do what he can, but he he is a bit on the back foot now. And um, that I wouldn't be surprised if um if there's a pretty hefty Irish challenge for the King George if there wasn't going to be, I say there really will be now. Um, yeah, yeah and, and we go. This this division, will, and we'll move on to the John Dark. And it wasn't just that uh, the British Stake Chasers that took the, that uh, that got that got um, that um, we saw some unexpected events from this weekend. We saw it in, Ar- in Ireland too. But God, the the balls are up in the air now, aren't they? Yeah, big style. And TC, in terms of Brave Man's game and his sort of future in the short term, he's gone from thirteen to eight for the King George and a. Follow up, repeat, win there, out to five to two, and then for the Gold Cup, Brave Man's games drifted from sixes right the way out to fourteen to one. And I mean, I think he's still too short for the King George off the back of these two performances we've seen. Brendan mentioned your view that he's a weak finisher, and there's no getting away from the fact that he travels there, and you know he has that look of the petrol tank is running empty and there's not a huge amount there. I mean, you'd be hard pushed at this point now to put your faith in him for a King George, let's say, at that price. Um, but then you look at the race and you see Shishkin's the third favourite and you just think, would I want to be laying Brave Man's game at 3.8? Probably not. Um, obviously, he's up against it now after two runs already this season and he, he only ran four times in entirety last year and one of those was in April so yeah he's up against it but be interesting to see you know how that King, King George field actually stacks up like Kev said I wouldn't be surprised if if the Irish come over there's been a few nibbles this morning actually for Jerry Colomb for the King George and obviously Alaho or I'll come on to shortly when we do the John Durkin um, obviously he's he's bang there as well but uh, yeah he's up against it but then, and then again you've got to, you've got to stack it in against the actual strength of the King George field at the moment, at least. 
All right, well, let's move on to the John Durkin then, because obviously all eyes were on Gallup and Deschamps. Everyone looking forward to his comeback run. It was uh, Willie Mullins, 90% field, essentially. And the only other horse in there that wasn't trained by Willie, of course, was Fast or Slow, who goes and wins it and wins it impressively, really. Um, great for the game. You know, like that domination of a race like that is a little bit painful to watch play out. And then for Fast or Slow to win it and back up what he did at Punchestown, prove that that wasn't a fluke I love to see it he's been cut to five to one from 12s for the gold cup now off the back of that and Galloping Deschamps is just a point bigger from two to one out to three to one to win the race for a second year on the bounce after the John Durkin defeat of course as Kevin's already touched upon lots of focus on what last season did to Brave Man's game and Galloping Deschamps and whether that has affected them for this season but meanwhile Brendan is fast or slow, picking up the pieces or improving, which, which side of the fence do you sit on there? Well, I mean, it's a terrible thing to have uh, to deal with fence sitters, isn't it? But I mean, can you can you take a whole pile out of that win at the at the weekend? I mean, he's a very good attitude. There's, there's no doubt about it. And he, he was keen enough in the early stages, fast or slow. So so he did well to win and made a couple of slight errors on the first circuit, although nothing like uh, Gallop and Deschamps, who, I mean... I've never seen anything like that from him. He's abysmal on the first circuit, but faster, slow did did well to 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 stick it out. But what what has he has he actually achieved? I suppose if you want to take a a positive line on it, I've never seen appreciate it go with such zest over fences. Maybe he he he's he, he's getting the, the the hang of things. I thought he jumped and travelled with real alarm. Um and, and obviously he was a very talented hurdler, but I mean then you look at him, he's gotten beaten by the likes of Fair and Lily and uh, Flame Bearer as a, a novice chaser at the back end of last season. So it's hardly goal cup winning form. So it, it's not an easy, it's not an easy way to race to rate. I mean he he somehow managed to get beaten off 150 in an in an ultimate, albeit by another well handicapped horse in Corrick Rambler. Um he hasn't had many runs and even a lot of the runs he had he wasn't all that busy so the horse has massive scope we know he stays well from the aforementioned performance in the ultimate so you'd think the Gold Cup trip would be right right up his street um, this is uh, this is a long-winded way of saying I, I, I don't know what to make I mean Willie Mullins came out and, and he said, oh, Gallop and Deschamps was, was never travelling. We were so disappointed. I, I didn't feel that at all. I, I understand why he, he wasn't travelling particularly well in the first circuit because if he wasn't kicking the fences out of the way, he was ballooning them. Now, he jumped much better on the second circuit and I thought he did travel into the race pretty well. I just feel like he, he, he paid a price for all those mistakes he made early. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a brilliant jumper, so I, I'm willing to... And it wasn't like it was just jumping that got him beat punches down at the back end of last season. So I'm 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 willing to put a line through that. I know he I know he can jump better, but again I'm I'm going around in circles. I don't really know what to make of the run. I I feel like Gordon Elliott would be just very pleased with the way things have happened in the Gold Cup market at the weekend. And Jerry Jerry Kalam to me should probably be favoured for the race at the moment. Well, he's the one that hasn't got any black dots against his name at this stage of the season, along with a few others, but maybe at bigger prices. Appreciate it, by the way, was cut from 50 to 1 for the Ryanair to 12 to 1 after that improved performance over fences from him. A good showing from him. But TC, um, are you a believer in fast or slow at this point? Or, and are we not giving him the credit he deserves, given what he's doing, because we're focusing on the flops of other higher profile horses? Possibly, but like Brendan, I, I don't really have a strong view at that race. Um, obviously, the people who backed him off 150 in the Ultima have got a, got one of those gold <laughs> bad beat tickets, haven't they? But then, it, obviously, we bumped into a Grand National winner. Um, my big takeout from the race is that um, Willie Mullins has to shit or get off the pot with uh, Alaho. Um I had a look at, I, mean, I don't really go into the Cheltenham markets, but I had a look at all the exchange markets yesterday. And the only horse that really stood out for me was Alaho uh, for the Gold Cup. And obviously they're thinking about going for the King George and it looks like they are going there. But Alaho is a 10-year-old next year. Um, he's got no, the, never. He's got the most raw ability, I think, out of any staying chaser out there, including... His stable mate galloping to Champs. He's like I said, he's 10 next year. 
they don't want to be pissing around with a Ryanair again, do they? I mean, like like I said, this this horse, his body of work over three miles isn't that bad. Um, you know, he's placed in a couple of races at the Cheltenham Festival. Arguably his best performance when he kicked Landers Oboe out of the way over three miles at Punchestown in last year. And you just think, I, I know, you know, if my auntie had bollocks, she'd be my uncle. But if mm-hmm. Mullins come out and said, right, we're going to go to the King George, then we're not. We're going to stop pissing around with Ryanair. Then we're going to go for the Gold Cup because, like I said, this horse is too good not to have given his chance in the in the in the big one. I mean, that thirty threes with a sports book. Well, and he's actually. I just had a look, and he's about seventy five on the exchange for the Gold Cup. I might have to go and have a few quid now, actually, just on the off chance he wins the King George and they do, you know, grow a pair and, and go for the Gold Cup. Um, no, I, I my main take out of the races and looking at the King George and looking at the Gold Cup betting. I just think if Alaho, like I said, if, if he does go there, I, mean, I think he's the best horse in the race and his form over three miles will give you every opportunity that, you know, in his advancing years, he will get that extended trip. So, yeah, my main take out of the race was nothing that ran the horse that didn't run, and that was Alaho. Well, Kevin, then it just leads me to ask you, at this point, if I gave you a £300 bet for the Cheltenham Gold Cup, off the back of what we saw of this weekend... Who would you back? You've got Gallop in the Champs, Jerry Colom, Brave Man's Game at a much bigger price, Fast or Slow, Royal Pagai, Shishkin, Lahon Presse, haven't seen him for a long time, Gentleman's Game, those sort of horses. They're the ones dominating the market. You have a £100 bet from me. Where, where's it going after the weekend? Well, look, I have put up Lahon Presse as an interesting outsider. We haven't seen him yet, but of the ones we saw this weekend, like I, I think Fast or Slow probably isn't getting credit. Okay. Um, like like this was a messy race. It it, it was um it was slowly run, very fast finish. Appreciated very much. Got the run of it out in front, and I'd say that's a big part of the apparent improvement he showed. Um, but fast or slow, like he's just very likable. Like there there was a perception there that he picked up the pieces a bit at Punchestown after the big two went at it, but um there was none of that here. And and he just really like his jumping. Like he'll never catch your eye. Um, but but he's low, he's efficient. He like consistently outjumped Gallop and the Champ like all the way. Um, little bit flat footed coming down to the second last, and, and then picked up and has ultimately won snugly. Um, you know, so I thought that was a, a lovely comeback from him. Um, he's like he's got a funny old profile. Like he he won over fences like literally four years ago in France, um, and and then went back hurdling. You know, he's only had six runs over fences all told. And um, he seems to be marching forward every time we see him. So, um, like, I, I wouldn't be sleeping on him at all. Um, like, Gallop and Deschamps, like, geez, he's an interesting character study, isn't he? Because, you know, in, initially over fences, like, he was as spectacular a jumper as you'd ever see. And they used to let him flow out in front there and be nice and aggressive. And he'd jump faster and more down. aggressive. That leopard race yeah. lives long in the memory, doesn't it? the more they let him flow with the faster his jumping got. And then they've obviously said, how, right, let's make this a gold cup horse. And they've started riding him differently. And, and and he just doesn't jump as well. And like, as Brendan says, like this was his worst display of jumping that we've seen from him. Like, geez, he was sticky, sticky the whole way. Like I have him down small mistakes, first, second, fourth, proper mistake at the sixth. And then he started jumping a bit right late on. Um, like, oh, what do you do with them? They've spent they've spent all this time getting them to relax, and you know they've won a gold cup. It's worked, you know, an absolute legend of a ride from Paul Townend um, on the day. But what do you do with them now? Um, I'm sure they'll just kick on on the same schedule they had in mind because that tends to be what Willie does. Um, yeah. But God, you'd love to see him now that they've got him to relax. They might be reluctant to go back to more forward tactics. But God, I, I tell you, that's what I do because that that's what the horse does well. And you're asking him to do things differently to be more energy efficient. But um, I think a consequence of that is that he, he just isn't jumping as well. I don't think he's, he's as good at getting in tight and adjusting as he is as getting long and letting fly, you know, and being aggressive. So what they do with him now is a real interesting question mark, like post-Gold Cup with a horse of his age. You're thinking, God, this fella could win three Gold Cups. Now all of a sudden he's he's on the back foot. He's got beat twice. And um, look, I know we, we we probably should be cautious of getting too negative. This was, you know, two and a half miler, etc. First run of the year, but oh yeah, I, I, like like everyone, I'll be watching them very closely next time to see what okay. he does. Uh, and briefly, bigger picture, um, champion chase down Royal, four runners, 
two for Henry, two for Gordon. John Durkin at Punchestown a few weeks later, grade one, six runners, five runners for Willie, nothing for Gordon or Henry. Do we need two grade one open chases before December? Not so sure. Point well made. Um, let's move on to talk all things Ascot. Lots of intrigue down there. Obviously, earlier in the week, intrigue on the basis that Harry Cobden was sent down there and jocked off Brave Man's game. But of course, that ended up as a positive move for Cobden as he had a four-timer down at Ascot and that included Pick Dory. And Brendan, if I've mentioned the Betfair chase slightly falling apart, then the race at Ascot really did fall apart with Pick Dory obviously bolting up after Shishkin didn't start, as we all know at this stage. Another drama went off too far and Pick Dory manages to beat a um, much lower rated straw fan, Jack, in pretty emphatic style in the end but he wasn't he, he made a little bit of heavy work at it at one stage but got the job done so the obvious starting point is shishkin like what the what the fuck basically yeah um, <laughs> like, i'm just gonna put it bluntly put it out there you're all adults listening to this like yeah what what on earth Yes, okay, a, 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 a cruel business uh, for for any uh, backers of Shishkin when you when, when you haven't had a run for your money. Um, I, I was uh, when I was watching the re replay, uh, Mick Fitzgerald was talking and saying that he did sort of shown some antic tendencies before uh, the uh, the Ryanair last year, or this year, should I say, at the at the Chatham Festival. Uh, I I didn't notice that. I noticed him in the race. He quite slovenly early on in the Ryanair. He he, he clearly is a horse who has a bit of an attitude about him, but I didn't th th think that this was on the cards at all and clearly the people who, ha who had a mods on well Tony will talk later about the price he ended up but on form he was entitled to be to be odds on and I was expecting another spectacular performance so hugely frustrating particularly when you have effectively a match and then one of the horses refuses to start it's a, it's a disaster for, for, for the race so now of course it, it, it's a massive worry uh, uh, going forward because he, he flat out refused to race he, he, he played up and, and then they got him on the run and then he stopped again and then they had him walking in and you thought oh it's all going to be fine and then he just planted himself and he just was not having any of it maybe it was a once off but you, you would you would have to be deeply concerned as for uh, Pick, Pick Dory again another he's a really good jumper that Pick Dory uh, very, very likeable horse I see um, in the running order he was cut for the King George I don't know if he'd go for the King George I suppose the stamina is improving and he won that uh, Silvianiaco Conti race in, in, in the middle of uh, January last year so Nichols may feel like that's there to be picked up again but if he's having any concerns about Brave Man's game and he might want more uh, strings to his bow I'd give Pictori a reasonable chance to stay in the trip and he, he'll see he, lo he loves Kempton. We've seen that before. The way he travels and jumps is really well suited to that track. Um, and yeah, great, great, great day for Harry Cobden. I had a little, I had a little thought to myself. Do you remember uh, there's a, probably a apocryphal story about uh, Lester Pickett going up to Kilmore after our grand senior got nutted in the derby and saying, miss me. Uh, I had a half a notion to, to, to wonder, did, did, did Harry have that thought to himself? But he's probably too... He's probably too chill to, to mention. That was a that was a strange business, though, wasn't it? I mean, what what the, what the hell was going on there? Who who in their right mind, be a trainer or a jockey, would jock off Harry Compton? What is what is going on? I I don't know what went on. There was a lot of theories going around. Obviously, Harry played a blinder in terms of just playing the diplomat, went to Ascot and got mm. the job done because that's the sort of guy that he was. Uh, Nichols came out and said what he said in regards to owners and politics and keeping people happy. Then the horse that does go to Haydock gets Daryl on top of him and flops anyway. There's loads of different angles, loads of different theories, loads of different gossip. But all I know is I was shocked when certain people in the sort of, I don't know, like press on Twitter, whatever you want to call it, were like, oh, it's not that weird a move. When, when the news came out and there were certain people saying that it didn't surprise them. I was thinking, what? I don't know if I live on another planet, but I'm really shocked. But Of course you're shocked, and all this logistics business. We're, like, we're running a racing yard here. We're not DHL. No one does that. If a jockey gets injured, you replace the jockey. You don't preempt a jockey getting injured. That, absolutely bizarre story. Anyway, Harry marches on. This is 
Instagram. Harry marches on because that's what he does. He's just a pro. Now, Kevin Blake, let's talk about like going back to Shishkin because obviously it was such a talking point. Um, I saw... So, yeah, interesting what Mick Fitz was saying in regards to he felt down the start there were tendencies at Cheltenham like this. So maybe those close to him do think he's got that bit of a quirk. Obviously, the cheap pieces were added, but I was under the impression that was to, you know, obviously concentrate his mind in a race. Um, And he looked up for it going down to the start. Now, I did see William Kennedy, ex-jockey Will Kennedy, had replied to the At The Races clip saying, you know, the oh no, Shishkin hasn't started clip. He said that it was the first day of the new starting procedure where the starter isn't allowed a hunting crop. So obviously what you normally have behind is the starter following the horses in. She's He or she has got a crop, like a long tongue crop, so she can crack it and make a sound, obviously not touching the horses. Crack it and make a sound, which obviously for any horse that might be thinking about just whipping round, etc., tends to help. Now, what we had instead was the starter following the four horses in round that fence, obviously an awkward start, and she's flapping her hands around trying to get Shishkin to jump. Now, I don't know where, where this new starting procedure's come from, but I presume it once again is a perception issue. Let's remove the whip because it doesn't look good chasing horses to start a race with a crop. But you tell me, does it look any better having some woman flapping her hands around behind the horse and jumping around trying to get it to jump off? I don't think so. I think it's one of those ridiculous things that's been changed for perception, but not what's right for racing. Yeah, I I don't think anyone should be allowed to wave their hands behind a horse, Vanessa. I don't think it's fair on the horse. I think it is the horse's (laughs) choice. They shouldn't be getting coerced in any way like that. And um, I totally disagree with that. I think it should be outlawed. Um, no, I, I, I fully, fully agree with you. I thought, I thought it was a strange change to make. Um, did, was it, was it the, the a contributor to what we saw? Shishkin, who can say with certainty? But um, I, I thought it was a curious, um, needless sort of change to make. I've never heard anyone say, "God, that should be changed." Um, so that is what it is. And um, with Shishkin, look, I think we, I think it's obvious the horse has had plenty of problems, um, uh, uh, plenty of problems uh, of different types, and you could definitely see it last season. Like when he was good, he was brilliant on his comeback at Ascot, but then very quickly at Cheltenham, um, he, he looked quite piggy, um, like to to be to be to be frank about it, and um. Uh, and we saw that again here. He's just a horse that that has issues. that say he's thinking about it a little bit. And with him, it's going to be a case of how how good he's feeling on the day. Um, you know that that'll translate to how much he fancies giving it a go. But um, we know Nicky's brilliant with this type of horse. Um, holding these horses together and getting them sweet and getting them to do it. Um, on the big day faces a bit of an uphill battle here. You'd think with a horse like this, as we saw last season, Ascot, when he was fresh, he was brilliant. And he went, you know, went backwards a little bit. When he wasn't fresh, um, he was fresh as paint here. The, the fact that the cheek pieces were on, um, you know, a bit of hindsightology, but the fact that they went reach for those on the comeback um, was a hint maybe that they weren't quite pleased with him at home um, in terms of his enthusiasm levels. So... Look, leave it to Nicky. He's 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 very good with these types. Um, but God, could, would you would you take a price about him winning another Grade One in his career? And now, and I've been caught out like this with Nicky before. <laughs> he's 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 perform he's performed some he's he's pulled off some some Lazarus like recoveries with some of his horses before. But um, I'd struggle to see it myself. Best of luck okay. to him. Uh, last word, TCT, on that, because in terms of how did the bookies play this with obviously Shishkin not starting, how did it play out if you were a punter here? Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd have some up Todd down at the start with a 20-foot branch. <laughs> it would started then, wouldn't it? That's a blast in the past. Oh, I forgot or, about or Johnny Sharon down down there. Oh, Johnny Sharon. Eight before oh, the start, race starts. Um, now, there was a couple of betting angles here. Yeah. Um, one was... The fact that Shiskin didn't even go a favourite at Betfair SP, uh, went off at obviously went off at eight to 13 with the fixed dog books, but he went off at 2.92 um, on the exchange, uh, 2.85 pick Dory. So, like I said, it's a, a massive move. People were speculating why that happened. Um, could well, I didn't watch the market live, so I'm only guessing. Uh, it could well be that people saw Shiskin plant himself and the drift started then. 
uh, or it could be perhaps more likely that there was um, a late swoop um, of the exchange market uh, when it looked like uh, he definitely wasn't going to start and there was a slightly late suspension, but I didn't watch the market live, so that's um, that's pure speculation. It'd be one of the two, or maybe a combination. The other one was um, we had our old friend Justice Refunds come up, and um, and I I think my gut feel is that punters are more uncomfortable with this than 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 than, than comfortable, and it's not a new it's not a new suggestion, but someone suggested it again over the weekend. I think that. All right, have your justice refund. Get your money back on Shishkin, and, and the sports book were any number of one of any number of firms who did. They did it not only for singles, but for multiples as well. I mean, they gave it back as free bets. But it occurred to me you could stop all this kind of like clamouring for a justice refund nonsense if you gave them their money back, but also applied a rule four on the Shishkin non runner to all the other horses. You'd still get all you 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 shoot you'd soon get all these punters stop kind of like, you know, like say, oh give me my money back because I'm back to loser, etc. If you started applying hefty rule fours, and it would have been about 60p here, to pick Dory's winnings, you'd still get the vast majority of punters coming out and saying, No, this just this just this just habit for what it is. It's betting, you get bad luck, you get good luck, swings and roundabouts. And stop all this just uh, justice uh, justice refunds nonsense because it doesn't sit well with me. And I, I, I could be reading the room wrong, but I, I think the majority of punters were happy to take it on the chin. But such is the climate we're at at the moment. You know, people just want their money back for any number of reasons. I I don't I don't agree with it. All right, yeah. If you're punting, you got to roll with the punches a little bit. Right. Let's rattle through a few of the other performances. One voice a piece here. Uh, Kev Blake, you can have Stateman, who we saw obviously dot up in the Morgiana, um, has just been cut a point for the champion hurdle. Domestic kind of dominance over in Ireland for him last season. Looks as though it's going to be much the same this season if they can keep all the wheels on. But of course, we know he's going to have to meet Constitution Hill where it matters most. But it was all pretty straightforward for him at his end. Do you have anything to flesh out from the Morgiana? No, it was riveting, wasn't it? Um, uh, we'll have another we'll have another great open grade one hurdle at Fairy House uh, next week. So, <laughs> yay for that! We're trying to keep upbeat here. It's Monday morning, guys. <laughs> there was lots to be upbeat about, but these uh, uh, ironically know, the grade okay. ones, the pinnacle, the pinnacle of the sport, Vanessa. We go, we can't get any higher. Um, they're they're the ones that are the least interesting ones to talk about, ironically. Yeah, weird that, weird that. Um, Brendan, you can have Gaelic Warrior if we're talking about Mullins horses, just whilst we're on the topic. We saw a couple of chasing debuts and beginners chases from high-profile Mullins horses this week. That included Gaelic Warrior, also mm. Classical Dream, but you were impressed with the former Gaelic Warrior. Well, you know that I'm a huge fan of hyperbole, uh, Vanessa, and you were talking about the devastating debut of... Um, Oh. And, uh, my God, the horses! How how is that even possible that the Gold Cup winner's name has escaped my imagination? In in, in galloping the show, um, unbelievable! I'm, I'm I'm losing my mind on air. Uh, galloping the show, it's, which it's was, because uh, you're excited about going skiing. Uh, yes, indeed. It, it, or, or I've had one too many falls. But yeah, I galloped the show. But I was uh, I felt there were echoes of Chacun Porsois debut Ooh. in Nace. Now, it wasn't as jaw-dropping as that. I was in Nace that day. I remember looking at it and like that. You, you just you, you couldn't believe what, what you were watching. But Gaelic Warrior, how good a jumper is he? I mean, there, there was one fed where most of the time Townend was happy to let him <laughs> pop. And he was so nimble on his feet and quick from one side to the other. There was one fence he, he jumped out at Townend's hands and he loads a, a scope at it. Um, I just thought it was one of those uh, chasing debuts where you're just watching a complete natural, now a complete natural going right-handed. Whether he's going to be as effective, uh, he has had issues in the past with jump, jumping out to the right, but it, 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 it's very, very, very rare. I'm, I'm not saying uh, that, that that he was as spectacular as Galloping de Champ or, or Chacun Persuade, but he wasn't far off, man, and a hugely talented horse over hurdles. Uh, second at the Cheltenham Festival, won a grade one in Punchestown over three miles, who now looks just a complete natural jumper. I'm not sure exactly sure what trip he's going to 
uh, tackle over over fences, you would guess that the wretched Turners would be his target, just being the interim trip. Uh, but I mean, he he, he jumps with serious speed. He, he with the speed of a two mile chaser. I, I was seriously impressed, yeah. Yeah, the two mile angle, I'd love to see for him. But like you say, there's that middle distance option. Kev Blake, you can have Classical Dream, who was the other one I mentioned there, making his belated chasing debut after what he's done in the staying hurdling division the last couple of seasons. And he goes chasing now as an older horse. Um, Not as impressive, I think it's fair to say, as Gaelic Warrior. But what can he do now going chasing at this stage in his season? We've seen this team obviously do it before, noticeably with Fahin. But what can we expect for Classical Dream now? I disagree. I thought he was. I thought it was the more impressive chasing debut. Oh. Too. Um, like leave, leave aside everything. Leave aside the fact that the classical dream is is literally like double the age of a Gaelic warrior. Um, just purely taken as a performance. So don't you know? Don't trouble yourself with the horses' names or anything about them. Just watch the race. Um, I thought he was brilliant. Um, I yeah. thought it was it was as good a jumping display as you'd see from a chasing debutant. Certainly so far this season. I, I, we might not get a better one. Um, thought he was magic. Absolutely loved it. Showed a great appetite for fences. Fluent, efficient. Um, as a jumping display, it, w- it was tip top. It wasn't much of a race, clearly, um, but really, really good. Um, what exactly what you want to see uh, from a chasing debutant? Um, look, then you move on to the, the wider context of what he is and what he might do. Um, how far can he go with this relatively late stage of his life? Um, he was to go chasing years ago. And he had a little setback literally three years ago. And given what he did here, I know he's won plenty of grade ones over hurdles since, but given how, how good an appetite he showed for fences here, I wonder where he'd be right now if he'd gone chasing back then, because um, th- this was class. And I wouldn't be sleeping on him at all when he goes up in class on account of his age and profile, um, because he looked like um, he looked like a horse that's been crying out for a fence all his life. Um, briefly back to Gaelic Warrior. Um, that that wasn't that wasn't to to a knock on him. I thought he was very good as well. Um, I wouldn't be going up and trip with him. I thought the jumping technique he exhibited was that of um of a horse that's going to want no further mid range trips and will probably be fine back at shorter. Um, to to do to do what Brendan did. Um, it reminded me a little bit of an Ergamine's chasing debut. Um, like he was low, he was aggressive. Um, plenty was made about the the right the the jump into the right thing. I didn't think it was bad at all here compared to what we saw from him at times over hurdles. Um, I think it was only slight, and if he was to go left handed next time, uh, it wouldn't be holding me back from fancying him if I if I liked him in the in the context of the race. So yeah, two two lovely chasing debuts, but um, classical dream for me did uh, did, did 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 put a smile on my face. I enjoyed watching that. Okay, classical dream for Kev, Gaelic warrior for Brendan, but it's not a competition, not at this stage anyway. Um, Looking forward to seeing what they can do in the future. Different profiles, of course. TC, let's go back to Haydock with you, please, and talk about the Betfair handicap hurdle, the big prize pot up for grabs, and it was Emmett Mullins's Slate Lane that went off a well-backed favourite in the end and dotted up, essentially. I was so impressed with this horse. Was left just thinking, like, how do this team keep doing it? And, you know, having gone so keen up front and still been able to last home as well, I don't know where his improvement ends, but I was blown away by this performance. There was a bit of fallout in behind, specifically in regards to Crambo, who finished um, a very fast finisher in third spot. Obviously, splitting them was the Mullins horse, who was a big drifter in the betting beforehand. So a few bits and pieces to unpick here. But what were your big takeaways from the Slate Lane race, TC? Well, obviously, the winner, it played to be on the front end at Haydock on Saturday, a famous bridge in the last aside. Um, so yeah, I think he was in the right place, but like you said, he was, you know, the, he was very strong in the market, um, unlike Crambo and the outfit is just phenomenal, aren't they? Um, you know, you, you, you think up 14 pound from a Mickey Mouse race at Newton Abbott into a much deeper race, it'd struggle, but the betting suggested he wasn't going to struggle and he didn't, but he was undoubtedly helped by the ride on Crambo. And um, you say there was a bit of fallout. I haven't seen anything, re- anything to any significant degree questioning the ride. And certainly, as I had a look at the stewards report, fully expecting them to ask Connor Brace 
what actually happened on the horse. And there was absolutely nothing in the Stewart's report. And we'll come on to Zane Knights and Gavin Sheehan uh, a bit later. But I, I would have more issue with the ride Crambo was given by Connor Brace than the one that Gavin Sheehan gave Zane Knights. But I, I just can't believe that the Stewart's didn't ask a question because... I'm so shocked. I'm just going to put it out there, TC. I'm so shocked by that statement. I watched both races back and yeah. I am on like completely the opposite side. <laughs> That's fine. All right. Well, I'll explain no, my I love it. I'm very much here for it. I love the no, no, and, you, and you can, you know, you can explain yours. Um, like I said, I'll put Zane, we'll have, we'll have the Zane Knights argument in, in a second. But this is, Crambo is a horse that doesn't need to be played late. Now, yeah, go and have a look at Sandown last year. Went from the front, got headed, came back. He's a stayer all over, uh, and he and there's you know you might say he's a little bit quirky, but you know entry previously, but that was a low sun race, and they didn't they had a you know a massive run into. You know this is a horse that gives. Now he's come there on the outside, free out. He's flown the last. He's flown the third last. He's got he's, he's gathering momentum. He's got nothing in front of him. He's on the widest outside. And then between the third last and the second last, he switches inside. Why? I do not know. Uh, he's in between horses. They all shortened up in front of him. I haven't seen the head on, but he's obviously had to take a tug on a couple of occasions. But what does he expect when he switches inside to where all the traffic was? Why didn't he stay on the outside, a horse that you know is coming with one fluent run and he meets all kinds of trouble he ends up on the inside rail, having been the widest, and he has to weave between horses. He flies, beating two and a half lengths. And to my mind, he wins the race if he stays on the outside, the, the way he finishes the race off. Now, at the very least, I'm not saying there's anything untoward about it. It could well be jockey, jockey error. But for the steward, if you back that, I mean, it's, I think it's probably incidental that the horse was a massive drift. I mean, he hit 84 uh, pre-race before going off about 7.2 BSP and the night before they were queuing up to back milk fours on the exchange put the betting to one side for the stewards to look at that race and not put not even ask questions of the anti-post favourite uh, the way that horse was, was ridden the way he finished off and the way he he probably would have won with a clear run to my mind even if the winner were idling in front I find it staggering I I I, I as we say it all the time on this podcast, fine. If you, we all disagree about rides, but ask yeah. the question. Just yeah, ask, I agree with that. I agree with that for sure. Ask the question. What, like, like I say, it's in the heat of the moment. But why? You go and have a look at that run from free out. I, I just can't picture why he went inside, knowing he's going to hit trouble. Now, I'm not saying it was. I'm not saying he was a non-jigger. Of course, I wouldn't say that. But to my mind. It was the classic example of a non-trying ride. Yeah, it's interesting. So why I so when I watched it back a good few times, I I know I can completely see the point you're making about when he decides to go to the inside and then he hits all that traffic and that was the big disastrous move. But I wondered if the horse had just taken him that way rather than him making a choice to go that way. That was how I viewed it. But I mean. Let's have it out now with me mentioning Zane Knights. It's kind of for the news section of the show, but this is the horse that Gavin Sheehan has been given a 14-day non-jigger ban on, basically. Um, the ride that he gave this horse at Huntingdon on Saturday behind Tell Her the Name, who won the race. Uh, Zane Knights finished with a real flurry, having been ridden very quietly indeed. And Lucy Wadhams has been fined £3,000. I think the horse can't run for 40 days. And Gavin Sheehan has got a 14-day ban uh, for basically schooling in public and conditioning a horse in public. And that's the ride that TC is referring to. Obviously, two totally different cases, Brendan, but we might as well have it out now. What did you make of the ride on Crambo versus a horse that's got a fine for essentially not trying hard enough in Zane Knight? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I wouldn't have massive issues with the with with the crambo ride i'd be happy that in such a, a valuable race uh that that the, the, the horse had had to be trying and maybe the stewards take that into account it's a, it's a difficult one i mean isn't it I, mean, I suppose that if the stewards are just looking at it going well he's made a poor decision there because it's very difficult to prove that a jockey didn't try i mean i can't say to you for sure that gavin sheehan didn't try on that horse in in huntington but 
he, he, he came out and he said, oh, well, he can be a bit keen and his, his jumping was novice. Well, his jumping was a bit novice. It was the first time I ever heard it, but it wasn't bad at all. And then he made he made a mistake at the third last and it was sort of like the, uh, Huntington wouldn't have been the track that would suit him. I mean, he was a stayer on the flat, two miles around Huntington's speed favouring track. You could see why he got, he'd get outpaced. But it was kind of like Sheen accepted that he was going to get outpaced. And, you know, I mean, he never picked up the stick to the horse. He sort of just let him roll, roll down to the second last after the mistake at the, the third last pop that sort of rolled in between the last two. Did was a bit more vigorous after the last, but... In a race where, given the price of the winner, there are betting without considerations, forecast considerations. Again, it's 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 very different. It was the horse's first run over hurdles. Maybe he was under instructions. Just educate him. We're, we're, we're going up in trip. But I don't hate that the stewards are thinking about the punters in this case. I mean, we, we had this last week, the amateur race in, in Cheltenham. I mean, these fines can be interpreted and, and the bans as being very harsh. But I... I'm sort of I I, I lean towards the, the stewards going right. Well, someone might have had a forecast there. Someone might have backed that horse without the fab. I think they should expect more from a a, a jockey of Gavin Sheen's uh, caliber. So I I didn't hate it, but I can't tell you that it didn't try. But he didn't kill himself, did he? No, he definitely didn't kill himself. Um, we've got to keep moving on because we're going to run out of time. Uh, Kev, you can have a word on Equinox to wrap up the racing action from the weekend, please. Obviously, absolutely bolted up in the Japan Cup on Sunday morning over here. Um, a real kind of like, for me, a very like, wow, what have we just seen performance again from this horse? I loved it, but I mean... I just fear with this horse, he's not getting the kind of worldwide racing appreciation he deserves because, of course, we haven't seen him out of Japan. But what he's doing over there, to my eyes, is staggering anyway. Ah, he's, a, he's a brilliant horse, Vanessa. In fairness, he's the, he'll be the highest rated horse in the world um, when all is said and done. And this, this was as good as we've seen from him. Um, like we, we did get to see him in Maidan and like that form that brings in a load of horses that we know very well and it paints him in a in a very flattering light. Um, like would he have won an arc if he came over? Like I strongly suspect he would have. Um, on the ground that prevailed as good as Ace Impact um is and was, like I, I think this fella would nearly have won. Um on that ground, they chose not to come over because they they, you know, were fearing um fearing the possibility of softer ground. So he didn't come. Um, but look, he's been really, really good in his two runs out of Japan in the last few weeks. And actually, this was brilliant. Like Liberty Island um, is a filly that, that has looked really good um, all year long. And he absolutely smashed their fun race to watch, clear leader, etc. cetera. And, um, and when Christophe Lemaire asked, um, Equinox put it to bed very, very quickly. Um, I look, I talked about it before, won't grab it on, but if you watch the coverage, the race was really well covered in this part of the world this year. And um, you see the size of the crowd and the amount of enthusiasm and the pomp and ceremony and everything. Um, it's massively on my bucket list. I will go there before I die. And I can't wait. To, it looks absolutely class. Yeah, but you may not be there the day that you get to see a horse like Equinox. I feel like he's once, almost the sort of once in a lifetime category of horse, especially for Japanese racing fans. Um, there was a few other horses on the list to talk about, but I think we should move on to news sections unless anyone's got an issue with that no one looks too unhappy so we will roll on a few news little topics to pick up we've covered a few of them in the main bulk of the show but um entain in the news having to pay uh 585 million pounds yes you heard that right fine and that's actually increasing to 615 million when including a 20 million pound charitable donation and 10 million pounds of hmrc's costs this is off the back of legacy bribery charges um from a good few years ago now it was in the paper it's in the financial times and sky news picked up on this as well the owner of labrooks and coral among others has agreed to deal with the crown prosecution service to pay 585 million after a bribery investigation in particular hmrc was looking at the alleged failure of the company to have added Adequate bribery prevention measures. Uh, they've taken the hit, TC. Do you have any more details to flesh out? Obviously, it's a hell of a lot of money. 
and that charitable donation as well as the HMRC costs. Um, but it's from many years ago and it looks as though Entain have decided just to hold their hands up, take the hit and move on. Yeah, it's from uh, 2011 and 2017 in their Turkish uh, operation. God, I mean, you'd love to know exactly what went on here, wouldn't you? I mean, a £585 million fine with another 30 added in. I mean, the actual... That's the bizarre one. Is it's twenty twenty million pounds to a charitable donor, a, a charitable donation as well? It's, um, it's a huge, huge fine for a, a public company to to take, and they're actually having to pay it over in four instalments over, um, in over four years. So that's how big a deal it is. Um, now whoever gets the inside track on that story, it will be very, very good to read because it's absolutely huge. There has to be a book in it, doesn't there? I mean, I know. I'm, I'm glad the two of you made mention this because oftentimes I know money isn't what it used to be and people will bandy around these. This is over half a billion pounds. And like the quality of mercy, the, 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 the quality of mercy is not strained. Like the punishment has to fit the crime. What the hell was the crime here? It's like, oh, there might have been a bit of bribery. God, this, we're into Pablo Escobar levels and stuff here. Um, I, I, I just, whether, whether the book will, 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 will ever come out, unless it's a completely disproportionate fine, of course. That, 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 that's a possibility. But um, yes, I, I would make mention of like half a billion pounds is still a significant number. I'm glad we mentioned that. Yeah, a serious, a serious number. When will we get further details, TC? I think this is all going to be finalised. I read, was it like the first week in December? Yeah. So then it'll all be confirmed that that's what they're paying. So will will we get further details and who will give, give them to us? I think they've still got leave to appeal it, but it sounds like they've accepted it. And uh, the fact that they've accepted it suggests that they think they might have got off lightly with 615 million. <laughs> it just shows you we, we're very kind of like um small world aren't we little England is here just saying oh but how how big must the Turkish operation must have been in from 2011 to 2017 if they're copying a 650 million pound fine but the Turks aren't getting the money the British government are getting the money right but it, yeah. like, if if the if the HMRC, they think they've been shortchanged and they've gone after them, that suggests it's the 615 is only a relatively small part of the pie because obviously you don't pay 100% tax on five, 615 million, do you? It's kind of like, it's it's absolutely mind-boggling. It's a it mind-boggling. Is, it so is whoever, mind-boggling. Whoever gets it, I, when I actually it. saw the number, I hadn't seen the news story at all. And when I saw the number and the story on the running order, obviously did the sort of like research on it and read what I could. But originally when I first read what Barry had put down on the running order, I thought that must be a typo for the fine. Yeah, you can buy you can buy a lot of kebabs with six hundred and fifteen million. Oh, that's oh. oh, you're getting cancelled as well. That this story just has culture. so many layers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kevin Blake, let's move on. Uh, want to mention sales to you? You've already touched upon the fact that you've been at the breeding stock sales in Ireland. Goffs had their fall sales followed by their mare sales, which saw the sort of semi-dispersal or restructure, whatever you want to call it, of the Niarcos draft. We knew we were going to have uh, some high-class mares go through the ring there, including the likes of Alpha Centauri and others. Um, and Magnus, well, Team Coolmore spending in the region of $9 million on mares uh, at the sale. A huge number, obviously. They're post-Galileo era now and building that, and they swoop for than the Arcos draft, essentially. What was the feedback from on the ground? You were there, high drama, I would imagine. Yeah, like, look, at if you're into bloodstock, like, the, these things tend to happen, like, once every maybe 20 years, um, where you have a big, um, you know, decades-long um, high-class breeding operation doing a dispersal. Um, goths were lucky enough to be given the chance to sell them. And, um, geez, it, it, was, it was high drama stuff. Like, it's, if you're, like I say, if you're into it, it uh, makes some watching, and I know some people. This doesn't seem to like bang very well to a racing audience for some reason, which always puzzles me because it's. Uh, I find it fascinating. I know sometimes you're just looking at an auction if you're coming in red raw and you don't know what's going on. It can seem like just rich people putting their hand up, but when you know the when you're familiar with the dynamics and the people um, watching it, watching it unfold, who's coming in, who's dropping out, um, and how it develops, it, it's it's really box office stuff. 
And um, the big thing here was, was that the the Magner, uh, the Magner team, the Coolmore team, like you say, spent an even nineteen million on four mares. Um, who you know any racing fan will know really well. Um, Alpine Star and Alpha Centauri both um, matched the all-time auction record in Ireland at six million apiece. Albigna, um, who was a little, um, she made three point seven, and the Dam of Pisbedil, um, who's a slightly older mare in Fall de Frankel, made three point three million. Um, it was just it was it was rock and roll stuff. Now, if you're like I say, if you were watching, it, I had a great position. You could you had a real good feel for who was bidding. And like Judd Mont were in there very deep, you know, a number of different Japanese groups were in there very deep. As you hear, Farm were in, in there very deep, very late in the bidding on the big mares. And it, it was and a couple of people that, that you wouldn't necessarily know who they were bidding for. It was it, it was high drama stuff now. Um, great to watch it unfold. And um, we won't see the likes for uh, quite a while, I'd say. Um, but we, we roll on to Newmarket and Tattersalls next week. And they have, again, if you're if you're. Um, if you don't follow the bloodstock world um, closely, um, the mare sale begins on Monday and they've brought in um, since last year a thing called the Scepter Sessions, which is a, a slot every evening on the Monday and Tuesday for basically the best of the best um, that's in the sale. And there's some absolute whoppers in there as well. So if you're um, not doing much else on Monday and Tuesday evening, it'll be worth tuning into the live stream. Um, because you'll see plenty of horses that you, you would have known very well on the race course going through for um, for some very, very big numbers. Yes. When you say that, but Entain have ruined it for us all there. Not 19 million is basically pocket change, right? Been I was going to say, I was, I, was, I was just looking at it there to see for some context and the, the turnover for the entire two days of the of the November breeding stock sale at Goffs was about 41 million. So oh, okay. if, if uh, whoever benefited from that fine <laughs> could go to went shopping and had an absolute, you know. <laughs> it's interesting what you say about like how that bloodstock sort of side of stuff on those high drama days doesn't really catch the attention of the kind of wider racing fan. As you say, Kevin, I think it's because, like, unless you really know what's going on, it is hard to follow. It'd be hard to walk in cold. Mm. But actually, I thought uh, for a big draft selling, there wasn't much. Like, I was expecting the Goffs Auditorium to kind of be, you know, almost packed out. And it didn't look to be. I mean, it looked busy for Goffs, but it didn't look rammed. Whereas if you tipped up in person to Tattersalls for the Scepter session on Monday and Tuesday, you literally at standing room only for about two hours before the first mm. big horse comes through the ring. So there's yeah. um, a small... And, look, and the pe pe people don't know, Vanessa, like, like anyone can walk into this and watch. Like yeah. you don't have to, you don't have to go in and sign in or, or be, a, yeah. be a player. Like if you're a racing fan, like again, I, it, it just doesn't quite compute with me at times why... It doesn't bang more because you could have sat down there for for an hour or two at Goffs and had had a serious serious time entertaining time seeing these you know magnificent horses that that did it in Group Ones all over the world and um like you say it it, it can be a bit um difficult to decipher if you're not familiar I was only saying to someone there like imagine if you had you know on the live stream if you had color commentary you know and you yeah. had the cameras set up properly so that you could say oh there you know there's Northern Farm. Uh, you know, or after bidding, oh, Judmont are in, and then you've got, oh, Jesus, you know, Judmont underbid that last one. They're surely going to go hard in this next one. Oh, they're in again. You know, I think maybe, maybe that's just me now because I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole thing. But I think you could make a bit of a show of it, you know. It's niche, but I'm with you. I like it. Um, right. Until HMRC come into the um, into the arena next year, then we'll have some fireworks. They got, they got money um, burning a hole in their pockets. Yeah. Uh, TC, last word to you on the increasing accuracy of the exchange markets. I think that's something that you wanted to mention. And we're yeah, getting it's, to the end of the show. It's just something I've noticed in, in recent months. I mean, it's the exchange markets like the Wild West out there, just nearly off. I mean, it's some of the ridiculous. It all started off when I was happily backing the dream at, at seven to one on the exchange the night before. And Two minutes before the race, uh, Ascot, it was, she was trading at 40 odd. And it's just like, it's just bizarre. I mean, you get some, I mean, it might be just a recency bias, but it's the market is getting really, really accurate out there. That said, you know, if you, you know, when they get it wrong, you will get handsomely paid. Now, the people who back fine margin uh, on Saturday when it was second in the, in the stairs, handicap hurdle that drifted out to 28 and they nearly got their money and that was like nine to one in the morning so it, it just seems to me that whoever's playing out there and it could well be the 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 markets aren't as robust as they were so these 
big syndicates can really have a massive effect on the market when they come late. Yeah, it just seems uh, it just it's something to keep an eye on. At the moment, they get whoever's playing late are getting the money, and um, yeah, it's just something off a wide flag up. Yeah, for sure. Right, and on that note, I think that draws a curtain down on this week's Strubbers. show. Guys. We give Strubbers a quick mention. The return Strubbers of Strubbers has been reappointed at the PJA. He left. He's back now to run that show at the moment. I'm not entirely sure what will be first on his to-do list, but he's got a lot of um, things to probably tick off, I would imagine. And I imagine a lot of jockeys out there are very pleased with the return of Paul Struthers to the PGA. It seems to be industry renowned that he did a very good job when he was there and they've missed him when he's left. So they've got him back. You to career U-turn for Paul Struthers. Um, there was a couple of other things on our list, but I think we're just about there. So we shall wrap up. Don't forget that serial winner fund. We'll be checking in with that next week. 100 grand in there at the moment for the Irish injured jockeys and the English injured jockeys fund. And five grand will be added to that serial winner fund every time Rachel Blackmore has a winner between now and Grand National Day. So a great thing for charity and a great reason to cheer on. Betfair Ambassador Rachel Blackmore on that note. It's a goodbye, Kevin Blake, Brendan Duke, TC. As always, thank you very much. Good fun show to kick off Monday morning. Join us again. We'll be back on Thursday with Racing Only Better. But for now, bet responsibly. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel because that also helps us. But have a good week, everyone. That was Wade in. <laughs> <laughs>